John chapter 8 this morning, John chapter 8, and would you go with me to verse 12, we'll be there in just a moment, John chapter 8 and verse 12, a week ago Thursday, the space shuttle Discovery launched for its last time, did you realize that? Launched for its last time and is going to be retired from flight upon its return. Prior to its launch, I was looking at some some information about it this week because I was interested in it. Prior to its launch on February 24th, it had spent 352 days in outer space. Does that amaze you? That amazed me when I, when I read that. 352 days, almost a year in space total. I, I saw a video this week. Um, it was interesting. I saw a video on the Internet this week that of, of the, the space shuttle launch, and it had actually been videotaped uh, from a commercial airliner. And so they're high in the air, and you can see, see the space shuttle take off and, and, uh, and kind of curve up into the atmosphere as it was taking off into outer space. It was incredible. The thing that struck me, though, in the video was there was some applause when the, when the um, what do you call that guy that flies the airplane, the pilot? Yeah. The pilot announced of the aircraft, you know, look out the right side of the aircraft to see the space shuttle launch, and people started clapping. And then I could hear people going, ooh, ah, wow, that's amazing. They were, you know, just amazed. We're st- we see that, that happen. We're still amazed that, that we can send things into outer space. Isn't that amazing? Discovery's first launch was in August of 1984. And still today, we're amazed when we see something like that happen, right? Go off and blast off into outer space and defy gravity and go and, and to do its work in outer space. You know, that's not the only thing people are amazed about. Uh, technology amazes us, doesn't it? I um, was talking to the guys as we were traveling yesterday about some of the technology we enjoy using. Uh, some, some technology angers us, right? Some, sometimes you're frustrated with technology. Sometimes we're, we're amazed by it. We're still kind of astounded that people can think of the things that that we do. I was joking with my kids that years ago when I was a kid, and you know, that was like in the 70s, um, I was, I, I was, I, I really liked Star Trek as a kid. And I, and I, what I really liked about Star Trek was this little cool thing that they, when, when they would send somebody, I, you know, the, the fact that they could beam someone down to a planet, that was, you know, no big deal. The, the thing when they, when they got there, they would open this little device, they would flip it open. And they call it their communicator, I think, and, and it would make this really cool noise. And they would talk through this communicator back to the spaceship. And I used to think that was the coolest thing. I was like, that, that, would, that would just be amazing to have, but that will never happen. <laughs> now you all have one, and you might want to turn them off now, okay? So we all got those communicators, and we can go anywhere with those things and talk to each other. It's just incredible, right? We're just still amazed at the things we can do. 27 years after the space shuttle first launch, we watch that. We think about technology. We think about how far technology has come. And we think, man, people are so smart. <laughs> people are so incredibly smart to be able to invent and think of this thing, these things. I thought of an invention this week, and it was when well, I was trying to pour a two-liter bottle. I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a handle? And I thought, no, it's already been invented. And I went to Amazon.com, sure enough, six bucks, you can buy a handle to put on your two-liter. So too late, that's my invention, it's gone. I had the best idea I had, already taken, six dollars, you can have it. Um, you know, we just think, man, people are so smart, so incredible that they think of the things. You know, for all the technological inventions, though, for all the technological advancements, for all the incredible things, like a handle on a two-liter bottle, 
you know, for all those amazing things that people make, there's still one fundamental, very serious flaw that, that man cannot solve alone. Man cannot invent a way out of their sin. You realize that? We have this fundamental and very serious problem that as smart as we are, we cannot deal with on our own. We cannot invent our way out of this. You know, if it's the, it's the problem of sin that we deal with that, that troubles us the most. We, we may not even realize it in life. Before we come to Christ, we may not realize that, that the problem of sin is our biggest problem. Often we think it's many other things before we come to the realization when, when, when God opens our eyes to the truth and we, it finally dawns on us that our sin is our biggest problem. That problem of sin is incredible. And as smart as people are, we cannot come up with a way to deal with sin on our own. For all the intelligence of mankind, we're still held captive by the darkness of sin without Christ. And there's the key, isn't it? Without Christ, we're trapped in our own sin. We're we're enveloped and enclosed in darkness in our own sin without Christ. That's why the message we hear from Jesus in our passage today is, is incredibly timeless. The message we hear from Jesus in the passage before us this morning is a timeless passage, and it deals just with this this fundamental problem that mankind faces, and yet often they don't realize it. The message we hear from Jesus, thank God, is timeless and still applies to us today and will still apply to us tomorrow. This is still the hope for mankind today who, without Christ, are trapped in the darkness of sin. I want you to go with me to John chapter 8. We're going to see this clearly in our text this morning John chapter 8, beginning with verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 20 again. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 17 says, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now one thing we notice as we get to this 
portion of chapter 8 is that there are no longer any mention of the great crowds of people that were there for the Feast of Booths. This is likely not long after the Feast of Booths, but there's no, no longer mention of the great crowds that were thronging to hear Jesus speak as he spoke and taught in the temple. The people we see now in this portion of chapter 8 are Jesus' opposition. The people we see now are those who are seeking to kill Jesus. And we've noted before they're looking for something with which to charge him. They're looking for just about anything they can use to charge Jesus with so that they might take his life. Now, they take issue with the fact that Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Now, we've been seeing this, Jesus using common everyday elements to help us see who he is and why he came. We've been seeing this. Let me remind you of a few of the things that Jesus has said. Earlier, Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life. John chapter 6 and verse 48. In verse 51, later he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he says, I am the living bread. He's using using everyday items, everyday things to help us and help the world and help, help those people understand who he is and why he came. Even earlier, John chapter 4 and verse 14, Jesus had told the woman at the well that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in John chapter 7 and verse 37, Jesus, in effect, had declared himself to be the living water, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Everyday things Jesus used to help people and help us understand who he is and why he came. And now in our passage here in John 8, we hear Jesus declare that he is what? He is He is the light. He is the light of the world. It's another radical claim by Jesus. Another radical claim that Jesus makes here saying, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's this darkness Jesus is talking about? It's that three-letter word with the letter I in the middle, right? It's sin. It's sin that Jesus is talking about. Whoever follows me will not be trapped in the darkness of sin, but will have the light of life. That's an incredible promise. Think about all the things that we can, you know, not I, I, obviously I can't even invent a carrier for a two-liter bottle, but because somebody else beat me to it. But think about all the incredible things that mankind can make and create, and do, and accomplish, but they can't extract themselves from the darkness of sin without the light of Christ. And what's implied here in Jesus' declaration is that the world needs light. That's obvious, isn't it? I mean, you look around at the world today, and you don't have to watch too much news or read too much news, and you find out the world we live in is a sad place to be. It's a dark place to live, isn't it? And we pray, you know, that the things we hear about, that would never happen in our community, you know? And we think, well, that would never happen. And then, and then you get surprised and stuff happens in our community too, doesn't it? Oh, we pray that, that, that people will be God-honoring people, but we live in a, in, a, in a world that's ruled by sin. 
Satan is powerful and he blinds the hearts and minds of unbelievers. How incredible it is. How disturbing it is at times. How disheartening it is at times that we live in a dark world. It's obvious the world, and it's implied here, the world needs light. The world is dying without the light of Jesus Christ. And the world is in spiritual darkness without Christ. You know, the world needs the light of Christ desperately. The world needs you and me to be to be carriers and bearers of the light of Christ, that we might take the light of Christ into the, into the world in which we live, into the community in which we work and live and go to school and, and recreate. Now the world is in spiritual darkness and desperately needs the light that Jesus Christ gives. And to gain the light of Christ, one must... What, is this, what does this say here in verse 12? What, what must one do? You see it? One must follow Christ. The world must, must, must realize that they must follow Christ. The world needs the light of Christ. And to gain the light of Christ, one must follow Him. The problem is the world without Christ often rejects Him and says, I will not follow Christ. Maybe not in those words, but by their actions they declare, I will not believe in Him. I will not trust in Him. I will not follow Christ. And what they're saying is, I will not... I will not walk in the light. I will not have the light of Christ. We heard Jesus speak of just this problem back in John chapter 3. You want to go back there with me for a moment? John chapter 3. And I want you to look with me at verses 18 through 21 because Jesus talks about this problem. John chapter 3, beginning in verse, verse 19. I want to start in verse 19. And this is the judgment, the light, who's that? That's the light found in Jesus. Jesus is the light, right? We're seeing it here in our passage today. Verse 19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people loved the the darkness rather than the light. I was going to say that people love the light rather than the darkness. That's not true, is it? People love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his works should be exposed. And verse 21 says, But whoever does what is true, in other words, whoever obeys, and submits to God's authority of their life. Whoever repents of sin and turns to Christ, whoever does what is true, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, it's God enabling you to do the things you do. It's God enabling you to be obedient, to do good works. Psalm chapter 36 says it this way. We read verses 5 through 9 earlier. I read them earlier in our service. Now I want you to listen to verses 1 through 4 in in Psalm 36. Transgression, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Remember what we talked about lately? What's the fear of God? It's this reverent obedience. It's reverent obedience. There, the transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God. 
I don't fear God. I don't honor Him. I don't obey Him. There is no fear of God before His eyes, the transgressor, the sinner, the wicked. Verse 2 in Psalm 36, For He flatters Himself in His own eyes that His iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Well, that's not true. God sees our wickedness, doesn't He? But the transgressor, the sinner, the wicked says deep in his heart, hey, uh, God can't see me doing anything. You know, I, I can do whatever I want. Flatters himself in his own eyes, for, for his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. That's, that's saying it mildly, isn't it? He does not reject evil. This is the unbeliever that's darkened by sin. They will not reject evil. People are so darkened by sin, they will not be done with sin. They will not turn away from it. They will not believe that anyone can discover that their hearts are dark with sin. You see, sinners without Christ flatter themselves that their sin cannot be found out. But we know that's not true, don't we? God knows our hearts. He knows our sins. The hearts of mankind are so dark, they won't leave their sin. They will not be done with sin. And sadly, they turn to all kinds of impostors. J.C. Ryle speaks of this tendency of mankind to pursue false false lights, impostors of light. He says, false lights on every side invite man's attention in the present day. Reason, philosophy, earnestness, liberalism, conscience, and the voice of the church are all in their various ways crying loudly that they have got the light to show us. Their advocates know not what they say. Wretched are those who believe their high professions. And that's just why we need the light of Christ desperately. Because there are many imposters of light in this world in which we live. Many imposters of truth. And many of them often look very religious. You see, to break through the darkness and into our lives, the answer to sinner's darkness is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And until Jesus Christ moves upon us to break through the darkness of our sin, we cannot, we will not repent and turn to Christ from our sin. The remedy for the disease of sin is Jesus Christ and the light that He is. Psalm 36, 9. I read it earlier in our service. I want you to hear it again. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. We don't see the truth. We don't know the truth. We don't recognize the truth. We can't be changed by the truth without the light of Christ. In His light we see light. In other words, only through faith in Christ can the truth of Christ set us free from spiritual darkness. And that's just the spiritual benefit we see here for those who become followers of Christ. Know what happens to Jesus' followers. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus says in verse 12 here in John 8, you might need to go back to John 8 and verse 12. What does Jesus say here? Whoever follows me 
will not walk in darkness, but but will have the light of life. Now, the follower of Christ is swept out of darkness and into light, and this light is the light of life, Jesus Christ. Now, what is it to follow Christ? He says here, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. What does that mean, to follow Christ? Well, it simply means the same thing as as repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. To follow Christ is to turn from your wicked ways and turn to Christ in faith so that he can take up residence in you through his indwelling presence of the Spirit and change you and make you more like himself. So what is it to follow Christ? It's to repent, it's to believe in Christ, repent of sin, and turn to Christ in faith. And the one who believes in Jesus is is essentially wholeheartedly devoting themselves to following Christ in thought, in word, in deed, to having their whole lives transformed by Jesus, by his word, by his spirit. And he says, that person who, who follows me, that person who does that, what's the outcome? What's the result? They will have the light of life. And you see that there in verse 12? The outcome for the follower of Christ is that they, they will have the light of life. It will, no, it will no longer be only in Christ. It will then be, it will also be in us. If you will repent of sin and turn from sin and turn to Christ in faith, he gives you his light. You will have the light of life. You will see the truth of his word as his truth. And the believer becomes, here's, this is incredible, I think it's implied here, the believer becomes a light bearer. Because if you have the light of Christ, I guarantee you that you will not be able to live in this world without people seeing that you have something different about you. They won't, they won't be able to put it in those terms, but they'll know you're different. You will not be able to keep the light of Christ to yourself. In fact, Jesus talked in terms that were even clearer about this in Matthew's gospel. We know from Matthew's gospel that Jesus declared that those who follow him become the light of the world. It's it's the same kind of language he uses about himself. Matthew chapter 5, listen to verses 14 through 16 in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You see that? You hear it? If if you have the light that we're learning of here in John 8, then you will be like a city set on a hill. You ever drive, especially this time of year when it's cold and the sky is kind of you know, frosty white with clouds sometimes, and you look off in the distance. I think we saw it yesterday morning as we were leaving this area because it was still dark, and I looked over toward Houghton Lake, and the sky was aglow, right? Now, that city's not on a hill, right? But you can still see it, and you can say, there's something over there because the sky is glowing. A city on a hill is even more impressive, Right? And, and as followers of Christ who have the light of Christ in us, we'll be like that bright city on a hill, says Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says it, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Note that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Side note here, just so we get this clear in our hearts and minds, what's the purpose of good works? 
Is it for your salvation? Not according to this truth, right? Not according to God's word. Your good works is for giving glory to God, right? You don't earn anything but glory for God with your good works. Good works, in other words, I was think, you know, we sometimes we don't think of good works in, in the way we ought to. Good works is obedience, okay? Obey God's word. Obey God's word, and you'll be doing good works in this world in which we live, and the outcome will be that people look and see that there is a God, and he's working in you, and they will turn and give your God glory. They will turn and trust in him and believe in him because of your faithfulness, your obedience, how important that is. So the believer, the follower of Christ, is a light bearer. See, we bear the light that that Christ gives us when we follow him. And the believer's light is a reflection. It's not, we need to understand this, that the light that Christ is, is not, we're not the same light that Christ is. We don't save anybody, okay? We are light bearers. We are messengers, okay? I think I said it a couple weeks ago. We're like, we're to be conduits, (laughs) okay? Christ's light is to flow through us to others. And so we're not, in the same essence, the same kind of light that Christ is, but his light works through us. So the believer, the follower of Christ, is a light bearer, and the believer's light is a reflection of Jesus saving, life-transforming light. That's incredible. What an incredible privilege to be a light bearer for Jesus Christ, isn't it? You ever think about that? You ever think about when you get up, to go into the world every day and do your work and do your business, that that I'm a light bearer for Jesus Christ. God, help me to bear the light properly. Help me to be a powerful witness. Help me to do good works, obedience to your word in this world in which we live so that people might glorify the Father and glorify the Son. Now, we can't stay on verse 12 all morning, okay? Now, verse 13, I would like to stay on verse 12, but verse 13 is a very clear example of the contrast between those who follow Jesus and those who believe in him and those who reject him. This is a stark contrast here, seen very clearly in the passage here. As we continue to verse 13, there's a, there's a marked difference between those who follow Christ and those who reject Christ, those who refuse to believe in Christ. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. What did they just do? They, they tried to change the subject. <laughs> Jesus is talking about those who follow me will have the light of life. And they just essentially said, you're a liar. You're testifying about yourself. You see, in their minds, it wasn't appropriate to, for a, a person to testify about themselves. You needed two witnesses. Here's the, here's the real problem. The root of their problem is that they're, they're trapped in darkness. Jesus' enemies are darkened in their understanding, darkened in their sin for all their wisdom. And these were wise guys, no pun intended. These were wise men. These, these men who, who had great learning, supposedly great understanding for all their wisdom. And I compare them, you know, we think about people who send you know, spaceships into outer space and for their wisdom still can't deal with sin. For all these fellows' wisdom, for all these Jewish religious leaders' wisdom, they still couldn't recognize the truth when it was speaking to them. 
Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the truth, speaking to them in their in, in their very presence, and they couldn't recognize him for who he is. He's standing right in front of them. They want to argue with him about his testimony. They want to argue with him about about whether he has the right to testify of himself or not. You see, they don't really know Jesus. And because they don't know him, they don't know the Father either. You see, they thought they knew God. But they're rejecting God's Son. They're rejecting God in human flesh. And yet they're so blinded by their sin, they don't see it. See, they, they want to argue with him about this his testimony as to who he is, but they don't see him for who he is. Look at Jesus' reply. Look at verses 14 through 17. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You see, in their minds, in these Jewish religious leaders' minds. They're thinking, Jesus cannot bear witness about himself. That's not legally appropriate. You know, he, we gotta, you got to have two witnesses. Jesus can't testify about himself. We've got him. He's a liar. You lie. You need another witness. And Jesus says, in effect, what he's saying is, like, look, if you really knew me, you would know I don't need another witness because I'm God in human flesh. But you say I need another witness? I've got one. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, don't misunderstand this. Jesus will judge in, in, in that day when we see Christ. But he says, in effect, he's saying, I don't judge the way you judge. You look at the flesh. I judge no one that way. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father and note this, who sent me? He always points back to the Father. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is, is humble before the Father. He's obeying the Father's timeline and obeying the Father's purposes. And he says, For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. I'm on a mission. I have authority. I've been sent. And then he says in verse 17, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. In other words, so there, right? So so there, look. Hey, you want two witnesses? You've got me, you've got the Father who sent me, the one you claim to know. In other words, Jesus is challenging them that for all their so-called religious wisdom, they really don't know God. And it's clear here, too, that they really don't. They're arguing with Jesus about who he is, and if they really knew him, they'd really know the Father. They'd know who sent him. Jesus continues, verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father, here it is again, who sent me, bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, again, changing the subject, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. 
And again, he's on the Father's timeline, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now this is the tragedy of being blind in your sin. Illustrated very clearly, they keep changing the subject. They keep diverting from the truth. They can't even see God the Son standing right beside them, right in front of them. Jesus' enemies can only judge by what they see, and even that they don't see clearly. And do you know, do you recognize that in the world today? We still see the same problem today, don't we? We still see the reign of sin in the lives of people today. And for all the apparent wisdom in the world, for all the world thinks they know, they still don't know God without Jesus Christ. They still don't know God until they repent of sin and believe in Jesus, in the light of the world. See, the problem of sin and its cure, I think, is made clear in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. This is also happens to be a, a very sobering reminder for us. If we truly long to know God, we need to listen carefully to this passage James chapter 4 and verses 4 through 8, James says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, if you love the world and you love the things of this world and you don't love God, you're, you're an enemy of God. Verse 4, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the believer in Jesus Christ has the Spirit and when a believer begins to live like the world, you're, you're living like you're an enemy of God. But the Spirit says, no. The Spirit who dwells in you fights to, to help you love Christ as you should and not be, be caught up in the love of the world. That's why verse 6 says, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and He opposes the proud for their own good. You realize that? If God did not oppose the proud, what good would that do them? What good would it do us if God did not oppose us when we were proud? And we ought not want God opposing us. You want God opposing you? I don't want Him opposing me. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's the answer. Here's the resolution. Verse 7. In James 4, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, the secret to knowing God is revealed in Christ. 
The secret to truly knowing God. Remember last week we said that, that deep in the heart of every human being, whether they know how to verbalize it or not, is a longing to know God. We clamor after all kinds of things until the veil of darkness is lowered and we see Christ. We don't realize what we really needed was God. The secret to knowing God is found in following Christ. And that's why God sent His Son. So we could see the truth. So we could see the truth bearer. So that we could see the light of the world. And we must repent of sin and believe in Jesus. We must submit to Christ by admitting our sin. If we want the light of Christ in our lives, we must walk with Christ. Jesus Himself makes it very clear when He says in John 14.6 that He is the only way to God. Right? We know this passage well. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, hear that? No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. Except through me. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't follow after Jesus, if you don't repent of your sin and believe in Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope of knowing God. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and you'll be completely satisfied. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We may think we have much of this world's wisdom. We may think that we can get the wisdom we need. We may think our hope rests in the hands of men. But truly, Jesus is our only hope. And for those of you who have loved ones, who have family members, have co-workers who need Christ, guess what? Their only hope is Jesus too. They need to know Christ. They need Christ to move into their lives, to tear apart and destroy the veil of darkness of sin. And we need to pray to that end, don't we? And we need to live to that end. So we need to go and leave this place today and be the light of the world that Jesus Christ is through us as we do our good works, as we obey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you. We want to glorify you with our lives. Father, I pray that we would truly glorify you by, by our obedience, by the faith we place in you and your Son. And as Jesus spoke that day, that he is the light of the world and whoever follows him will not walk in, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God, help us to see Jesus Christ as our only hope. We may think we have plenty of this world's wisdom, but it's still not enough without Jesus Christ taking up residence in our lives through the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit, moving in us and changing us and making us new through the power of the Word as we take up the Word and get it into our hearts and minds and take steps of obedience 
And God, I pray that you would help us as followers of Christ to humble ourselves daily before Christ as we seek to, to walk in obedience with Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be the light that's, that is Christ, working in us, living in us, and, and living through us. God, help us to, to show the light of Christ to the world by our, by our good works, our obedience to your word, that we might honor and glorify the Son, that, that people might turn to you, God, and believe, to see our Father in heaven and give, give him glory. God, help us to live in light of these truths this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.